All right, so um, I just thought it would be a good idea to go through and do a pretty big review. So bear with me as we go through this, maybe a little bit longer than, you know, usual five minutes or whatever, because um, we are studying the book of Jonah, if you weren't here last week. And um, ironically, we're going to study the whole, even though our, our topic is anxiety, um, Jonah is only four chapters and it's really a whole story. And so we're going to look at the final chapters um, today. And so I thought it would be good to make sure that we remember what was taking place in the first couple chapters. So we're going to do a little review here. So um, does anyone remember in the book of Jonah, there are words that are kind of repeated, or at least a form of that word is repeated over and over. Anyone remember what the two key words of Jonah is? Arise is one of them. Yep. And a point, yeah. And there's some form, like sometimes um, a point might be commanded or, you know, something like that. But it's some kind of a form that gives that idea of, of God appointing. And so there's this whole, and, and we said that when we are studying the word of God, if we see a, um, a particular word or a group of words repeated over and over again in a passage or in a book, there should be like a ding, ding, ding going off in our minds because those are the key words and there's something God really wants to say in those and there's some kind of a theme that he wants to show. And so maybe there could be a zillion directions we could take it, but maybe there is the idea that God calls us all to something and don't just think like hearing an audible voice and, you know, saying go to Nineveh and preach. There's all kinds of things that God calls us individually to. And um, sometimes we can get stuck in our head and allow um, fears, worries, anxieties, whatever you want to like call it, um, we can let that hold us back from doing that arise and going forth. And God's appointed us to do something. So somehow we're going to have to work through um, the fears and anxieties that we might have. So let's just look through chapter one a little bit here. And I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions um, to kind of get us going and reminding us what was going on here. So in, when we won't read chapter one and two today, but what did in chapter one, um, God makes a request to Jonah. And what is the basic request that he gives to Jonah? Okay, what was that, Jen? Okay, go to Nineveh. And what is he supposed to do in Nineveh? He's supposed to preach. And what was it that we learned? The Ninevites are also, um, the Nineveh is the capital city of an empire called the Assyrians. And so what were some of the things we learned about the Assyrian people or the Ninevite people in and of itself? They were pretty brutal. They were very brutal. An example of that? Not just you. You can, I mean, anyone, anyone. <laughs> what were some of the things that, um, that made them such a brutal people? Yep, and how did they display them? Their heads. Yeah, on spikes, yep. And, um, and a lot of times it was like the generals and things like that because the king, they had a special thing that they did for the king. Do you, they drug him through town. What's that? With the ring in his nose. Yep, like a pig, yep, with a ring in its nose on a chain. They would drag the king through the town or the city or whatever. And, um, and he, I guess when he would eventually die, because I'm sure at some point they killed him, then he would get his head resting on a spike. <laughs> um, and so, and then a lot of times, what did they do to the people themselves? Because they didn't just go in and kill everyone, although plenty of people died. But do you remember what they did to the people? They would like disperse them in all different directions. And um, 
when Israel was two parts, part of Israel eventually does go to the Assyrians, um, and they do conquer them, and they are dispersed. Um, so, but that's later on in the story, um, not of Jonah, but of the Bible. So, um, so they were very brutal people, and we said it would be like if ISIS was on the border of Mexico and we lived in Texas. And, and ISIS wasn't ISIS, ISIS was ISIS, like a huge empire, like the whole country of Mexico was ISIS. We would be pretty scared. We would be nervous about them coming. Um, there was very much the like, the Assyrians are coming, and everyone's like in a panic mode. So um, what would you say? Exactly, honestly, truly, yeah, very much so, yeah. So when we think of Jonah, do we normally think of the subject of anxiety? I certainly don't. And we know there could have been a lot of reasons why Jonah does what he does, but it is good for us to think, with especially the Assyrians being the Assyrians, there is the possibility that fear was the motive for what he does. So what? how does Jonah respond to God's call to go to um, <laughs> exactly like polar opposite exactly so would you say that Jonah's um, not his response but the feeling he had that caused the response was it a rational fear yes and sometimes we do have rational fears I think the fact that sometimes when we struggle with worry or anxiety the fact that we can say it's a rational fear that we have you know um, how many of you here are like, if you're in the situation, you go to the worst possible? Yeah, that's me. Um, I can't drive over the same bridge that we drive over to get here to a church without thinking like, oh my gosh, what would it be like to go off that bridge and <laughs> into the water? Who would I unbuckle first? Although I don't have kids that age anymore. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It is strong. It is. That's what my, my husband would be like. It's fine. That'll never happen. You're right. But it could. <laughs> so... It is. Okay, that's a rash. I think that's probably a rational fear. My bridge one probably not so much, but um, because of modern engineering. But um, definitely Urbana. That's definitely a, a concern. Um, so whether it's rational or not, though, we talked about how fear, no matter if it's rational or not, never should trump obedience to God. And but yet, sometimes we're stuck with these thoughts flying through our head. So what do we do with them? Okay, so um, so what is God's response to, to Jonah's disobedience? What does he do? Sends a storm, and it used that kind of feeling of like, it, I think it said um, it, he kind of like hurled a wind to cause a stone, storm. So it's that same kind of um, feeling that there is a purpose. He appointed that storm. It wasn't accidental. God did that. Okay, and what else? What else happens to him? There's a storm going on. Jonah's on a ship. What's that? He gets swallowed Yep, so they throw him overboard, and he gets swallowed by the whale. And what did they say about the, what did uh, the book of Jonah say about the whale himself? He was appointed. And so we kind of discussed, why should that matter? Why is that word even in there? Like, what should that do for us when we see that God caused that storm, that God appointed that whale. Yes, he is providing even our anxiety, and he is in control. Anything else? Even when we go through difficult times, those scary things, God's got this all in control. He's got it planned out. He is providing this event, even if it's not an event we would want to go through. 
my wildest dreams, I would not be, want to be swallowed by a whale. I'm pretty sure Jonah didn't either. But yet we can rest and know, okay, this thing that I'm going through that feels so scary or so overwhelming, God is in this. Like he is allowing me, and maybe he's even planning for me to walk through this. And I know he is a loving God. He loves me. And so he's got this purpose. So what do we think that the purpose was for God sending that whale in the storm for Jonah? What was the thought? How so? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Have we ever thought of that as being God's? Like when something really rough happens, Jen's over there like, no. <laughs> you wouldn't agree? No. I, oh. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. And what were you gonna say? Well, I think I I do though. I think it was him protecting Jonah, but Jonah probably didn't feel that in the moment. Yeah, the word mercy might not have come to his mind right. immediately. That this is a merciful thing. Mm-hmm. I honestly, if the yeah. fish hadn't swallowed him, he would have drowned. Right. True. So that's how the Lord preserved his life. Right. True. And even if even if to set that aside, it, it was a merciful thing for him to say no. I've called you to do this. This is what I want you to do. Because it's always a merciful thing to, for God to make us do what he, that's a better plan for us in the well, long he's run. giving him a second chance, honestly, yeah. instead of punishing him. Yes. His yeah, very good point. He could have really punished. He might have felt like it was a punishment at the time. but <laughs> yeah, I don't, Again, I don't know if the word merciful would have come to mind. But. And how often do we like, have something bad happen? We're like, and then another bad thing is like, oh, great. Now it's this. And then it's like, oh, we're done. Retrospect, if we were like Jonah, we'd look back and be like, oh, yeah, mercy and grace, and all this stuff. At the time, that is not what you're feeling like. This day is going downhill so fast. Yes. You know, like, you get mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really true. It is so true. Or let's go to bed and start again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you. Because <laughs> Trudy can do that. <laughs> the rest of us are laying awake thinking about it, but <laughs> Trudy's asleep. Okay, so, and then in chapter two. We kind of see um, Jonah's response to what God has done. And he really had a choice here, just like we all do when something, um, not to this, well, yes, if this magnitude happened also, we would have a choice. But when those bad things happen, when those days are like Valerie said, where one thing after another, we all are faced with a choice as Jonah was. Um, And so how does Jonah respond? If we could really quick, let's, um, would somebody read chapter two? I know I said we weren't going to read them, but it's so good. Can somebody read chapter two? It's only ten verses. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, and he got up and inside the fish. He said, "I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and He answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yes, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple." I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. I will offer sacrifice.
sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit joy out. Okay, thank you so much, Emma. So could we just really quick run through there and look, starting in you know the first couple verses and working our way through, what are some action words, some verbs that Jonah did in this? I mean, he's saying a prayer, but yet there's a lot of action going on there. Okay, the first thing he does is he calls out to, or cries out to God. Okay, what else? Okay, he prays. Yep, no, absolutely, he prays. Okay, God listens, all right. Anything else? There's a whole bunch in there in like verse 3 and 4 where maybe Jonah, what's that? Yes, yeah, where Jonah's maybe not doing something, but he's looking at what God did, okay, including he threw or hurled me into the ocean. What else does God do in verse 3 and 4? Anything else? He banishes them from his sight. Okay. Absolutely, he does. And he works his way kind of up to that repentance. You know, the first is just I'm calling out to God. In verse 3 and 4, there's some acknowledgement that, okay, I, I recognize you did these things to me. And yeah, he does use big words like threw or hurled and you know things like that. Um, you, I have in verse uh, four, you expelled me from your sight. It just is like that kind of feeling of you threw me out kind of thing. They're big words. And in doing so, there's this acknowledgement that God, you're actually the one in control. You're setting the, the standards and the, and the, the things that are going to happen. I'm not actually the one in control. And that is a shift in thinking because his whole problem in the first place in chapter one, we said, was that he was like, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going the opposite direction. I'm in control of my own life. And so three and four is like steps towards the repentance that Trudy was talking about. Okay, what else do we see? Um, look at verse seven. What does he do? I think, is that the verse you were talking about, Trudy? No, number four where it says, I... Oh, yes, I see. Okay, thank you. Okay. Four seven, he hits rock bottom. Yeah, and how so? I mean, it says that he sank down. The earth was um, sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But it was you that brought me my my life up from the pit. Okay, there we go. So again, that that recognizing I am I couldn't get any lower. It reminds me so much of the prodigal son eating the slop that the pigs ate, you know, like that moment of like, what, could I get any lower? No, I can't. And then that acknowledgement that I need God. All right. And then in verse seven, he says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. He remembers what about God? What do you think it means when he's saying, I remembered the Lord? Okay. That he's always there. Yep. That he's in control. Yep, absolutely. And then right after that, it and that he loves them. Okay, yeah. And right after that, it says, um, verse nine. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. It's kind of an interesting thing that word thanksgiving. I don't believe it's in there by accident. I believe it's such an important part of Jonah dealing with the idol worship that was in his heart because he was worshiping himself and saying, I want to be in control. 
and so much a big part of like dealing with the fear that he had. Why, and, and for us too, dealing with fears or, or anxiety that we have, why do you think Thanksgiving would be such an important part of all of those things, coming to repentance and dealing with anxiety or fears? For me, like the thing I think about is it's been a, one of the things I get most anxious about is just being a mother and, and the well-being of my children. Mm-hmm. And the shift I made in my head through the word and through prayer is that they're not my children, they're mm-hmm. his children. And I have to be thankful that he has allowed me mm-hmm. to be the one that gets to parent them. That's well. awesome. That's awesome. I love that. It's That's great. Fun. Our son refrigerator went out. He didn't have the money to pay for it at that time, so we bought it. Mm-hmm. Our refrigerator went out. <laughs> our freezer went out. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Was, and then our taxes too. Oh, shoot. And I thought, please, Lord, I can't take any more of this, you know. But then you have to be thankful that I did have the money to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really had the money. I didn't like paying for it. But it was there. Yes. And yeah. People don't have that option. Exactly. Exactly. How about anybody else? That combination kind of of remembering and thanksgiving, it's like this dynamic duo. What do you think are things that we should, that Jonah did, that we should remember? We are not in control. Somebody said that. And then leading to thanksgiving. The, the character of God and how God's been faithful in the past. Mm hmm. It, it's a great source of encouragement and comfort for us because he makes promises and he always keeps them. Yeah. And it may not always look how we think it should look, but he, it, it's accurate. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I shared with you last week about, you know, um, I went through just a period where I just was so incredibly full of fear and worry and anxiety and just staying awake for hours at a time at night. It was weird, probably partially hormonal. I don't know. But um, I remember there was a song that came out during that time period. It says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And, sorry, I remember the Lord just, you know, really speaking to my heart that, like, I have been faithful to you since you were 14, long before that even, but 14 years old and you chose to walk with me and I have never let you down and I'm so trustworthy and that word stuck with me God is trustworthy like we can trust him again still preaching to myself that is not that I'm like hey I've gotten over that you guys all should be trusting him it's like no we should remember God you're trustworthy your character is good and we can put our trust in you and remembering all those times that he's been faithful and good to us is so incredibly important to us it's really God's like graciousness to us to help us to remember those things so okay sorry long review but I thought that was really important so you know we could close the book on Jonah right now and say well that was a happy ending he repents um, God commands this fish to spit him out again, a point, um, and it's all good. But Jonah is kind of a two-part book. And we see kind of two parts to Jonah. And unfortunately, he doesn't get his act all together and just move on and live as if he's in heaven and has overcome sin. Um, he's still on earth, and he still deals with sin. So Jonah chapter 3 and Jonah chapter 4, we're going to see a different side to Sona, to Sona, to Jonah. Um, Jonah chapter 1 and 2 are kind of like Jonah, the anxious and cowardly Jonah, 
And then chapter three and four is Jonah, the, um, the bitter and angry Jonah. So he's like a split personality, but he's not. It's all one guy. <laughs> so, and how often are we like that? All right, so let's start in verse or chapter three. Would somebody uh, mind taking on those 10 verses on chapter three? Short little chapters. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all they declared fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles: Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Thank you, Trudy. Awesome. Okay, so um, let's just really quick kind of run down what's, what happened in this chapter. Always good to just read a passage of scripture and ask ourselves questions. What happened? Who did this? Who did that? What was this all about? So just simply put, what happens in this chapter? They listened to him. Okay, yep. Jonah... He does obey this time. He does go in. One thing I did want to point out. Um, oh, there we go. Chapter 3. Last week we were talking about some, something was brought up about did the fish just spit him out like back where he started? And I said, I don't know. It must have been close to Nineveh. Uh, verse 3 says it's three days walk. And I never noticed that before. But that's that's an important thing because... He's still, he has a second chance, but God says, well, you still have to obey. You're going to walk this time instead of taking a bow, but you still have to obey. He still had to walk out the obedience. Do you think the fearful thoughts that he had started off with, had the Assyrians suddenly become different before Jonah got there? Nope, same Assyrians, same brutal people. By the way, they really hated Jewish people. So Israelite coming in there was going to be an issue. And um, he still had to deal with the same thoughts. Because remember we said last week, we don't have control over a thought that pops into our head. That thought is not in and of itself sinful at all. What we do with it is what is the big question. Because what we do with our anxious thoughts can either lead to great things or it can lead to sin in our lives. And so, um, so Jonah still probably had those thoughts. He had three days to think about what he might face in Nineveh. But yes, he does do it. He, he does... Um, obey God this time. Okay, so he gets to Nineveh, and he preaches, and they do repent. Do you think that was a shock to Jonah? (laughs) I'm sure it would. These people are brutal. What does that say about God's work in people's lives? 
all things are possible. There's nobody that's too far gone. And God had some kind of a purpose, some kind of a reason that this particular group of people he wanted to reach. And when he obeys, when Jonah obeys and preaches to them, um, they do repent. And it also just shows us like God's love is so incredibly overwhelming. Like he willingly pours out so much love and grace on them to send an individual to them for the specific reason to say, now it might not have sounded like love to them at the time, like you need to repent and you're going to be destroyed. But um, it was really showing his mercy and his grace. Again, second time today that it's like, hmm, sometimes God's mercy isn't really what we think of as mercy, but it is. Okay. All right. So let's just go through now chapter three and kind of look at and we're not looking for any like deep meaning kind of things. Let's just look for like really like what does the Bible say here in these verses about Jonah himself? What are some of the things that you see that he does or says or feels or thinks or whatever? Again, not looking for anything crazy. You can just look at the verses and when you see the word Jonah, what's he doing? Preaching. Okay, before he even preaches, what does he do? Yes, exactly. Yes. Verse three, he finally arises. <laughs> he does this thing that God wanted him to do. Okay. And then he does, um, what does he do before he even preaches then in verse four? Okay. He goes into the city. What else? Sorry. This is the boring part where we just, we're, we're not looking for a great spiritual, like, ah, moments. We're just looking at what he's doing. Yep. He's walking through. He shouts. Yes. Okay. Anything else we might see? Um, in verse 7, is that what you're talking about? No. Oh, where do you see it? Mine's in verse 4. Oh, verse 4. Okay, awesome. Okay. All right. Is that the last mention of Jonah? I believe it is. It says when Jonah's warning reached the king. Okay, so he does give a warning. Okay. Yeah, I said it. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> Maybe he was like, I am not disobeying. I am going to like go above and beyond what God said. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, um, does it tell in here anything about how he preaches as far as like his, like is he passionately preaching? Is he, how he's feeling while he's doing it? Is there any indication of what's going on in his mind or heart? Just in chapter three. No, really, I don't see it. I mean, no, it doesn't. It's, short and to the point. it's very short and to the point. He walks, he talks, he yells, he you know whatever, and then that's it. There's. It is about their reaction for sure. So we don't really see his heart motive or you know what's going on in his mind until chapter four, and then all the poo poo hits the fan. <laughs> it gets really real here. Okay, so I said in chapter one and two we're going to look at Jonah as being anxious and cowardly, one and two, and then chapter three and four, especially four. Then all of a sudden we look at Jonah and he's um, becomes bitter and angry. Okay, and we might think that doesn't have anything to do with each other, but they seem to be kind of bosom buddies. So let's let's think about that as we begin reading chapter four. In chapter four, we're going to go through a little bit at a time and look at it, and we're going to be focusing on how Jonah feels 
and or how he's what's going on in his heart. So I think it's interesting that it took three days for him to get there. Yes. And then Jesus died and it was three days later that he arose. Yes. You know, I, you know. And he was in the belly of the whale for three days. Yeah. And he was in the tomb. Exactly. You know, yeah. Just <laughs> Ironically, um, Trudy, I'm glad you pointed that out. Ironically, Jesus himself actually talks about Jonah. He brings him up and he, he brings Jonah as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. So shall the son of man. I can't remember the rest of the verse, but he basically told people just like Jonah, I'm going to the grave too for three days. So that's awesome that you saw that and, and pointed that's that out. really interesting to me um, because the father, the son, and the Holy Definitely, I would say it's very significant. Yeah, she could. <laughs> It is kind of, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say in the Bible, it definitely always is going to point us back to the, the Trinity. It should just always be a click thing in our minds. So definitely significant, though, for sure. And obviously Jesus in the tomb three days. Okay, so let's begin to read um, chapter 4. Trudy, thank you for bringing that up. That was an awesome point. <clears throat> chapter 4, could somebody read verses 1 through 4? <clears throat> but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That it—that That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Tarshish? Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So again, when when we're oftentimes reading through a passage of scripture, we're going to get a lot of benefit from just doing the five W's, you know, just asking ourselves who, what, where, when, all that kind of stuff. So let's just ask ourselves some simple questions. What are some of the things that you notice in here? Like, for instance, who is Jonah mad at? Yeah, he's mad at God. And why is he mad? Because God was compassionate. Okay. Because God's plan was better, for sure. Oh, because he thought his plan was better. Yes, for sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, all right. What, any other reasons? Or what are some of the things you're noting about how we know that he's mad because of those reasons? What does he say about the whole plan? He's pointing back to what he has said. Like, did I already tell you this? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> Every parent is like, that is not the way you talk to your... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's very dramatic toddler. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I just found it really interesting that he says, I knew that you would do this. I knew you would be gracious and compassionate. It's like, wait a minute. Doesn't that just really tell you that in the beginning when he was running away, he's not running away because he was scared or fearful 
of the people. Yeah. It was more like, no, I don't want God to give them that grace. I definitely think that that is a big part of it. Um, and when we think of Jonah, that is what we normally think of. This is a little different thought to think of that the, there could be some worry or fear in there. I think it's a whole bunch of it because along with the fearfulness of the Assyrians is that thought of like, they are so evil. I'm good. <laughs> They're evil. They shouldn't deserve any of the goodness that you give me. And so, so Jonah should be the one coming into Nineveh full of compassion and mercy, but instead all of his focus is on me, 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 me. Definitely get back to Jonah is his own idol. Like he is self-consumed. Okay. Um, let's, would somebody read verses five through six? Oh, wait, sorry. Before you do that, I'm sorry. Um, note too, then that last thing that God says, do you have a good reason to be angry? Man, that's hard when God asks us those questions, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Um, and sorry, whoever was going to read there, would you read five and six? Okay. Then the Lord said, it is right for you to be angry. So Jonah went out to the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was so grateful for the plant. Just to six. Yeah. Okay, so um, thank you for reading that. So um, one of the things that we should ask ourselves, what do you notice that Jonah is, why is he building himself a little makeshift shelter? What was his purpose for sitting out there? What's that? He wanted to see what was going to happen. Yeah. Like maybe God will change his mind. Maybe like there'll be fireballs falling from the sky. You know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Really yeah. Is that in chapter two, he was so thankful that the Lord gave him a second chance. Mm-hmm. The Lord was gracious and merciful to him. And now he's mad because he's gracious and, thank- and merciful to somebody else. Absolutely you true. He's spot kind of on. It's okay that you did it for me. Thank yes. You, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, so what does God do for him here now? What is he doing in five and six? Okay. And what does he provide? Yeah. And you think about like the terrain that he was in, that probably was like a really, really big deal. Um, did Jonah deserve it? Have you ever dealt with your kids? Sorry, Sophie. But you dealt with your kids and they were being owly. That's all the four other kids, not you, that I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, They're being owly or disrespectful or whatever. And um, honestly, like, you just don't really take a lot of pleasure in the thought of, like, doing something nice for them. Like, I am not going to make you dinner tonight, although you will. Um, You know, there's that kind of in our humanness, we want... Like, you show me love, I'll show you love. That's how this should work. It isn't necessarily, but that's how we can feel in our humanness. And so here, Jonah has just been the biggest butt <laughs> to God in, sorry, in how he um, has approached him and just really been a jerk. And yet here God, in his loving kindness, provides him shade. He does not deserve that. Yeah. Well, unless it's God. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah, but it's true. We don't know how long he was there. All right, so um, what do you think the message God is trying to get across to Jonah 
in this little tantrum situation where he grows the plant for Jonah in the midst of his anger. I think some of it goes back to Jonah already said, God, you're slow to anger. Yeah. And so. And full of compassion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just you. Yeah. You just provided. Yes, absolutely. And it definitely says, you know, Jonah liked this. He was like, this was a great thing. He loved this. This is awesome. Okay, and then um so so he's again showing this mercy. Now the mercy that he showed him at first, like Sherilyn brought uh, brought up, that didn't feel like mercy, but it was. This is just like, you can't argue this. You can't deny this. This is God being so abundantly good and merciful to Jonah. And um, Jonah likes it. <laughs> and I, ironically, he had just tried to show mercy and is showing mercy to the Ninevites. And Jonah doesn't like it because it's all about Jonah. It's not about anyone else in Jonah's mind. Okay, um, verses 7 through 9. Would somebody read those? But God also prepared a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it soon died and withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. (laughs) And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? (laughs) Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die. Which is he is he is a drama queen. Yes. Wow. God is so patient. <laughs> All right. So so what are the things that God does to him in these two passages? He's really showing him that he's in control. For sure. He's definitely yes. Yes. What did you say, Ian? Was it? Oh, was that you, Lisa? He calls him out. Yep, he definitely, you have a good reason to be angry, okay? So here God gave him this merciful thing, and then God takes it away. Because, yeah, God is the one in control. And then, you know, that little bit of anger that we saw in, you know, like the first couple verses of this, um, then we see it just come out full force. And I thought this was a really good... um, quote that was in the in the book talking about because we said you know first we see that he's anxious and cowardly now we're seeing that he's angry and bitter and um, the author of the book said anger and anxiety usually reveals a heart focused on the wrong things and usually it's on yourself so um you know i think that's kind of an interesting thing because sometimes um when we deal with worry or anxiety we can kind of, people kind of want to coddle us a little bit. I mean, I I have felt that before, like, oh, I'm so sorry you're dealing with that. And of course, which is wonderful, you know, they're compassionate. But we don't always have that same attitude towards somebody who has an anger issue. Sometimes it's like, get over it. (laughs) You know, like, stop. What the heck is wrong with you? Um, And really, I think it's important for us to see anxiety, not the thought that pops into our head, but that inward self turned where we're just, we want control and we're letting those thoughts just go crazy, flying you know, left and right, and we don't obey God because our anxiety is more important to us. That's when it becomes sin. Anger and anxiety, the sin of anxiety, are exactly the same. God sees them exactly the same. They're both just sin, period. And they both come from the same thing where I am more important than anybody else. 
I was thinking about, um, I, you guys might have seen that before, and I don't even know if it's actually true, but it's a great picture, that a, um, like a meme, where it talks about how um, a thorn is just a, the petal of a flower, of a rose, turned so tightly inward that it never like blooms. Don't know if that's true or not, but wow, what a great picture that is. Um, when we become so inward turned, like I don't want to do this because of this, this, and this, or this, we, we make ourselves the one that's God, or we think we do, and we just get so inward turned, we become a thorn to everyone, including ourselves. And so um, to see, I just thought it was interesting to see anger and anxiety is, they're equal sins. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? About like when we see somebody with an anger issue, we often don't have compassion on them. We just say, get it, get your act together. But when we are dealing with anxiety, we really feel like we want people to like, coddle us and but it's a sin that does need to be dealt with and repented of okay um if you would oh well let's finish the chapter out i guess sorry verses 10 and 11 could somebody read those the lord said you could eat the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night Mm-hmm. And should I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Um, and then it's done. <laughs> like, no, like, closing sentence that feels like, you know, like when you write a report at school and you have to have, like, that concluding sentence. This does not feel like a concluding sentence. This feels like we should have several paragraphs, you know, still to go. Um, why do you think, and this is merely just observation, speculation, opinion, why do you think God cho- chooses um, to end this this way? What's what's the purpose here? And what is he saying? Should I not be concerned about the great city? Oh, interesting. Okay. But it's, that's the same thing. Same thought. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the bringing up the 120,000 persons, what is he saying by that? You had this compassion on a plant you didn't even make. <laughs> There's 120,000 people who can't, they're so blind, they can't tell their left hand from their right. What's he saying by that? My my version in 11, the Lord clearly confirms his right to destroy or deliver his children. In your study notes, it says that? Okay, I like that. That's good, yeah. And notice what it said, his children, and which I think is a main focus. Like, who cares about the plant? Yeah, it was great for you.